I'm Anushka Dukas and I've been designing jewellery for 30 years and collecting charms for as long as I can remember. In this new podcast, I'll be asking a series of extraordinary women to tell me their life story in seven charms. Today, I'm meeting Caroline Issa, style icon and editor of Tank magazine. Distilling your life so far into symbols is such a bizarre and wonderful way to think about it. What would you actually say? You know, how would you, how would you think about it? And therefore, sh- you know, would I, should I? For me, there are so few things that can stand the test of time and evoke a memory like a tiny, detailed charm. A very special 18-karat gold biography. Welcome to my new podcast, My Life in Seven Charms. I'm here today in central London to meet one of the most photographed women in fashion, someone who has nailed the art of the effortless wardrobe and a woman described as the absolute epitome of chic. Caroline is the editor of cult-titled Tank magazine and a woman in love with both the written and the spoken word. She's also a designer, an industry innovator, and it has been said of her that no other individual currently working in fashion has seen the industry from as many angles as she has. Caroline, welcome to my life in Seven Charms. Thank you so much for having me, Anushka. Before we kind of got into your charms... um, I thought it was so interesting to just talk about, because we both have a bit of fascination with the miniature. Yes. With making things miniature. And yes. I'm looking at those gorgeous little miniature <gasps> Our books. little mini, mini magazines. You know, uh, we've got mini magazines, we've got mini books. We have books in the shape of, in the format of uh, cigarette boxes. Wow. Also, for the first issue of Tank magazine in 1998 which was actually the size of your hand. We also did a little commemorative mini, mini baby magazine um, that was put on the seats of a fashion show of a London designer. I can't remember who now. It was before my time. Um, And we've been doing them for every anniversary since. So why? Because that's quite unusual to make a magazine really miniature. So why why did you do that? I think we have always loved playing with format, the unexpected, but also, I think importantly, collectability, I think is always uh, at the back of our minds when we create content. And sometimes uh, as gimmicky as a format can be, that also helps a little bit with um, the idea of collectible. And we know so many people who still from 22 years ago have that little magazine. But that collectability, because I I have no, because people say to me, why have I always had this fascination with Charles? And I kind of could go back thinking, I really don't know why. Other than when I was a child, I collected. My aunt, I think, used to give me miniature. She was an antique student. She gave me miniature little plates and cups of sauces. That must be the source. (laughs) But isn't that weird? Or is it to do with the fact that when you're a small child, Mm. that you relate to small things? Mm. And why do you keep relating to Internalize that. I don't know. And I think, well, there is something embodied in childlike fascination with both the outsize and the the you know minimized and I think maybe that's why we still love puppies so much you know and 
babies are the cutest thing on the planet. Um, And then when it comes to format, we just love things that are small. But we're very lucky to have your fascination in the miniature so that we actually get to collect also your (laughs) beautiful, tiny little things. But that's a real mutual thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know that I'm looking at those little books and thinking they are absolutely perfect. Mm. And... In, you know, when I'm designing charms, I want them to be as perfect and as lifelike as yeah. they possibly can yeah. be. And I and think look, there I'm is... very pleased you got your beetle on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I love my beetle, my baby yeah. beetle. And that's the thing. I think, yeah, the way that you're able to make something so lifelike in such a tiny little space, I think also talks about craftsmanship. But we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> so, Caroline... In, when I got your seven charms, the easiest way for me to kind of visualise it is really to sketch them mm. and just do some little illustrations. I love it. I love your sketches. So um, you haven't seen these yet, no. but I thought I'd just show Ooh. you. But please bear in mind, they really are sketches. Ta-da! Kind of annotated. Revealed. But, yeah. <laughs> oh. but what's really interesting to me is I visualise them one way. Wow. But you might visual as a creative. Yeah, you might visual them completely differently. No, I and- love how you've like completely internalized a bunch of ramblings. So you- essentially, Anushka asked me for seven charms that I thought could encapsulate kind of, I life. guess, my life. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, how hard is that? And I'm looking at the most beautiful illustrations in color of how she has. Um, articulated this in 3D, yet on a 2D paper. And yeah. I love it. We'll, work, we'll have to work to the 3D, but it starts like that. The process starts. How lovely. That's why you're so good at what you do. <laughs> um, because I think to take something from words and then make them into visual and then make them into a 3D object of which there are so many little moving parts. Look at this. Incredible. And I guess we're going to come to these seven charms, but that is just the most amazing thing. But I thought charm one, why don't we start with the gorgeous red saga seed? Yeah. I had to look it up, actually. I didn't actually know what a saga charm was. Mm. But I quite understand why you've chosen it. Um, But I see that charm as being carved totally carved out of a hard stone I think red agate Mm. because that really is as close to the color wow uh, as we could get it I see it as really tactile something you want to hold in your hand almost like a worry bead and if it wasn't a charm and it wasn't hanging from your neck or a bracelet it would be in your pocket and you'd be rubbing it and, and feeling it but tell me why you chose this saga seed So yeah, my first charm I chose is the Saga Seed. And that is because it completely is a symbol of my childhood, um, as well as my mom. So my mother was a Singaporean. And every summer as a kid, I would travel to Singapore. I would come via London, where my aunt lived, and then we'd travel on to Singapore, uh, where my grandparents and all of my mom's family was. And in the neighborhood where my grandparents lived, it was quite jungly, and we would pick up these saga seeds that were littered all over the roads. And (laughs) my mom would probably say, you know, can you just 
entertain yourselves and, and make up games with sort of like 50 of these seeds. And my brother and I would sort of remain quiet for quite some time. But what I love about these seeds is not only do they represent kind of newness and new life, but they're also slightly in the shape of a heart. Yes, and they're the deepest, most beautiful red. And so for me, I just think, you know, I thought, gosh, how do I how do I think about my childhood traveling around the world? You know, my dad's Lebanese Iranian, my mom being Singaporean Chinese. I was so lucky to travel as a kid and experience all these amazing places. And for me, the saga seed is is kind of representative of that time of my childhood and the sort of very natural and beautiful representation of like those summers in Singapore did you ever make because uh, it absolutely speaks to me I'd be making necklaces and bracelets seeds and, 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 and threading them and mm. you know because they come in a gorgeous pod don't they they come yeah seeds just come exactly the pod. yeah um so so you had a brother any? I have a younger brother yeah. and it was just the two of us but this the traveling was you know my parents were very adventurous travelers and they brought us to like I think we were one of the first Canadian flights into Cuba and they thought let's go to Cuba yeah. when it opened up to Canada first this what is when I was, was like god I, I was like 13 wow. so this is 30 years ago now um, and then we went to Beirut right after the Civil War, a year after the Civil War ended, because my, my grandparents were there and had lived through the Civil War in Beirut. And my father said, right, Civil War's done, let's go. And, you know, <laughs> my brother and I, two Canadian kids, landed there, kind of shell-shocked at having seen a completely God, yeah. destroyed city. Yeah. So just just um, talking about because you were you traveled immensely, but you were brought up in Canada. I was brought up. I was in born Canada. and bred in Montreal. Yeah. Mm. And, and and this might sound like a really weird question, but obviously, you know, Singaporean, Chinese, Lebanese, Iranian mm. in Canada. Yeah. Did you feel different? Did you feel different? Do you know, I'm so grateful for having grown up mixed in Canada, especially Montreal. It's such a cosmopolitan melting pot. But growing up, the number one question anybody would ever ask me is, where are you from? And my parents as immigrants, first-generation immigrants from their respective countries, um, are such proud Canadians. And they got so fed up with that question. They would say, Caroline, just say you're Canadian. Yeah. And like, but no, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky to have this, this weird and wonderful mix. And I didn't think I was different. And so many of the kids who I grew up with looked like me in the sense of okay. like so many mixed families. And it was yeah. so lovely. And I'm very grateful because I think Canada is one of those countries where, you know, I think the division is much less uh, apparent than, for example, what we're seeing in America. But Gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful but it was funny how that question, where are you from, is literally the, the most asked question I've ever been, I've ever gotten in my still, life. Still. Still. Yes. But I mean, that, that kind of real mixed cultural heritage, how, do you think that's affected the way you've lived your life? Absolutely, 100%. I think it has made me question perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that there isn't just one story that... Um, the Chinese perspective is so different to the Persian perspective, to which the Canadian perspective, you know, and I think I absolutely am grateful that I've internalized that so much. And I think I, I definitely bring that to what I do and the people that we work with yeah. and just making sure that 
Um, There's a real richness to everything. Yeah. Depth. Yeah, absolutely. And that you just question. You always have to think about, well, what does it look like from another perspective? I think that's such a skill. Yeah. I think it is a real skill. You either have it or you don't have it. Yeah, and I think... it's hard to learn or you really have to take the time to think, let me put myself in another person's perspective and shoes. And and that's hard. And uh, I wish, I hope it becomes more learned. Given what you do. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's so important. It's helpful. So, yeah, so (laughs) important. But that probably coincides quite nicely with your second charm. Mm. So I was really interested in this. and So your second charm was a bowl of noodles and chopsticks. And you're quite specific about the chopsticks, which I yes. totally get. Mm. So, um, I mean, I, I kind of thought about this. But for me, as you know, you know, part of my um, obsession with kind of miniature and jewellery, jewellery is not just about the way things look, it's the way they sound, yes. it's the way they feel. Yeah. So for me, it was really important immediately that the chopsticks and the beautiful little bowl come off one bale Mm. so I see the chopsticks in ebony with a gold cap separate and and the bowl being this perfect yellow gold beautifully polished inside bowl but I really want the two to clink together Mm. because of the sound when you eat Oh, you that's know, so good. The haptic of it all is yeah. so beautiful. So it's really important to me that that sound. That's very genius. And, and I didn't think that the chopsticks should be in metal because actually chopsticks mm. don't sound metal no. really when they... Yeah. So so that was really important. And then I wanted to... I mean, you're going to tell me why wonton soup, but I wanted to get the wontons and their little hint you'll see this little green savorite which is a hint of the of the vegetable that's so fabulous and then there's a little yellow sapphire it's a hint of the egg um and the noodles themselves are all in kind of white gold strands how amazing so there's huge amount of detail but i think it'd be a gorgeous charm that would make (laughs) an amazing charm and i feel like so many people would relate to the uh, wonton noodles (laughs) soup bowl you could have a sellout here just on its own we could Mm. but i think i understand a little bit about why you've chosen Mm. that because with your heritage Mm. Chinese, Lebanese, Iranian, as we said, but my goodness, those cultures are so about hospitality yeah. and warmth. Yes. And, but anyway, don't that's let a, me That's take. a great way of putting it. I mean, you go from the generosity of spirit angle, whereas I go for just the taste. And I'm keen on the taste, My too. stomach, <laughs> yeah, good, exactly. We've shared many a meal on Nushka. So what is it about the wonton noodles? Oh, I don't know. I think it's, I think... Wonton noodles are deceptively so simple, but they take so much skill to make. And I think I really appreciate that where, um, you know, the fold and to have not too much of the the skin. And I just think like it is the most simplest of, of meals, but it is also one of the hardest, I think, to get right. And I really appreciate the... Uh, skill that it takes to have a beautiful and it's just so heartwarming you know you're so right because actually the simplest things normally are, are the, the most difficult absolutely i mean i remember a collection i did do you remember hoopla yeah it was just huh. a really simple so it looked like it was a circle but it was so difficult to work yeah. out how to keep it simple i yeah. see you've got those earrings yes but 
Isn't that interesting? It's so the simplest things are the hardest are the things hardest to get things. right. Yeah, really absolutely. Right. And I think people just don't sometimes necessarily realize that. Um, but yeah, you've done a, you you managed it on Hoopla for sure. So with an obsession for food, mm. can you cook? I am the worst cook. Oh, you and me alike. I'm absolutely <laughs> hopeless. I think we're too busy <laughs> being great at other things, Anushka. <laughs> so yeah, let's not talk about the cooking side of things. But I appreciate good cooking. Okay. I think for me, I love food. And again, both of us being travelers and adventurers, I discover, I discover new places through food. And so... When I go on holiday, you know, I'm not really looking at museums first. I'm looking at restaurants first or like the <laughs> best local pizzeria or, you know, in Tokyo, it was like the best, actually in Kyoto, the best matcha tea house, you know, that I could find. And I actually, I think I travel through food. And then when we're stuck here in London, again, we travel through food and I think taste, um, you and I get to work in a, like an incredibly visual industry, as you say. Uh, I think what you do so well is kind of translating that to sound and, and feel. But I think actually taste buds are the thing that, you know, sometimes more than fragrance even kind of bring me back to places. Okay, well, so your next charm, number three, is completely different, and uh, it's obviously it's a magazine. Oh, yes, <laughs> it's got to be the magazine. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'd be interested to know how you would interpret a magazine. My interpretation would be absolutely it has to open. I I love that. I wouldn't have even thought of that. So it has. So in my head, it is. It's going to be beautiful yellow gold with tank engraved on the front in its font um but it absolutely needs to open and the sides of the book need to look like this book so there's absolutely all all the side all the pages of a magazine and I think um and I'm fanatical as you know I am fanatical about the details so for me the inside would be as beautifully Mm. polished as the outside and I think if you were to make that you would probably want to write a little note yourself Aww. that could live in inside. That's so lovely. But how would you have done it? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think that's genius because obviously you want to open it up and put in wonderful things. So that makes sense as a locket. The idea of it as a as a repository of precious things is a very apt way of thinking about a magazine. And for me, the reason why I chose something as obvious as a magazine is because I've had two jobs one as a management consultant but very quickly joined tank knowing very little about publishing and for 18 years now it's been my life you know I've been a magazine addict since I was a teenager to today trying to understand like what is it that actually we want to read and see these days when there's so much content that's being thrown at us so you know to think about a magazine in a precious way is certainly how we think about trying to create these paper magazines that get sent all over the world. Full of stories, though. They're full Full of stories. And what are the stories that you want to last forever and ever and be collectible and and still have relevance at, at a later date? 
And I think that's why as a miniature little kind of gold enameled locket, I think that's a, a beautiful way to, uh, to show that. Coming out of this, hopefully coming out of this shocking situation, mm. COVID, and where everybody's gone digital in mm. every respect, mm. what do you think is going to happen to magazines? Mm. I mean, that must be absolutely prime. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think... I think that the magazines who will survive this, and I hope we're included in that, are absolutely the magazines that have content above and beyond what an Instagram swipe can do. I think they're going to be opinion-led. I think that they're going to have... Go back. We're going to go back to experts. I think we're going to want to hear from people with a real point of view. I think we're going to want collectible, beautiful images that resonate today, not some sort of old-fashioned idea of glamour. I, I, I actually feel real optimism for magazines who are going to spend time commissioning multifaceted perspective. I've kind of, again, I think after every crisis, there's such incredible opportunity. Yeah, totally. And I get really excited, actually, not by the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but obviously what it means as a business for us to create kind of content that really means something, that resonates, that will make a difference in somebody's life, whether that's opening their eyes up to perspectives that they never considered before. And I, I feel we've gone through so many economic recessions in the 18 years that I've been at Tank that I, I feel like if we just head down, continue making really beautiful, collectible, meaningful content that will always resonate. In the same way that I think great quality product, yeah. beautiful jewels that you want to collect and keep and have as you know, future vintage forever, forever that will always be, be people desired. people love stories. Absolutely. They love the narrative. They love the story. Absolutely. That's so encouraging. Yeah, That's well, so encouraging. we have to stay optimistic. <laughs> anyway, going on from that for your fourth charm, mm. which is completely, I mean, I just loved this charm. I loved, you know, I didn't have to really imagine what it looked like because you've created this mm, shoe yes. and it's a gorgeous stiletto shoe which you, I think, was your first collaboration with Linda Bennett it from was. LK Bennett. Yes, actually. Linda wasn't, in the biz wasn't back in the business. She had sold it. It was actually Robert Pensusson. And he trusted me. Um, so we created these pom-pom stilettos. And it was before the pom-pom craze, a good couple of years, actually. And they did so well. They were kind of sold out. And it was just really the start, the spark of a little bit of confidence in my own creative abilities. Whereas I've always been on the behind the scenes commissioning, working with creative people. And yet somebody, you know, had given me permission to explore my own creativity and create this lovely thing that I love because I loved shoes. Was it always going to be a stiletto? Yeah, I always knew that I had to have a stiletto. High? High. How high? We also did a kitten heel. It was pretty high, but not so prohibitively high. We did a kitten heel who, um, you know, everyone from like 16-year-olds to Theresa May was obsessed with her Carolinisa L.K. Bennett um, embroidered kitten heel. Very strange uh, because I'd see her in all these you know, important heads of state meetings wearing my shoes. It was very surreal to see them on a global stage uh, 
Uh, so exciting. But I bizarre, mean, bizarre. Um, but in any case, I always knew that we had to have high and we did a great loafer with these pom-poms and it was just so much fun. So it's interesting though, the first collaboration was a shoe. Mm. I mean, I don't know whether that's just, was it coincident, but fashion, because yeah. fashion's such a huge part of yeah. your life, is the shoe the kind of absolute, mm. you know, if you had to pick one thing mm. that says fashion, is it a shoe? It was at the time, yeah. but the shoe for me was was something more than a handbag, more than a piece of jewelry. Was was really what I, um, again, the miniature in a way. Yeah. It wasn't so big or oversized, and sizing wasn't such an issue. So, the shoe for me kind of symbolized everything in fashion that I love, which is you 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 know you dress from from your feet up in a way, or I do, saying that lockdown where I don't think I wore high heels once in four <laughs> months. I was actually, the first time I went to a restaurant, I got dressed up to the hilt, Anushka. <laughs> My guests were like, whoa, where do you think you're going? Because you're not going there. I think I wore like, you know, a long yumu dress and huge crystal earrings and big old high heels. And, and I just think, you know, that's what fashion is. It's something fun and you kind of revel in it and it's wonderful. So actually I was going to talk about this later, but this is a perfect moment to talk about that. So because because you are this incredible icon, I mean, I've been walked mm. along the street with you and people stop you. But I'm really interested about when you get up in the morning, what is it that informs? Why do you put on whatever it is you put on? Mm. You know, I am so lucky in the sense that I get exposed to so many different design perspectives. And I really see fashion as, not as armor, but as a tool to express something that you can't use with words, something that... You know, everybody obviously says that you get judged visually first rather than in any other way. And for me, fashion, as I wake up in the morning, I do spend time thinking about what I want to wear. And I tend not to wear black. I'm wearing a little bit of black today. But I like spending the time thinking about what I'm going to wear. I know there's so many so many people in a rush who are like, oh, I just want... That's why they wear black, because they don't want to think about yeah. it. But the majority of people I know take the time to figure out what am I gonna what am I gonna represent today? What do I wanna feel today? And so I have lots of tailoring, I have gorgeous dresses, I do color and print, and I I use fashion as a celebratory <laughs> um way of just kind of enjoying beauty in my life. And I I like to wear designers that I either respect or think that they create in a wonderfully authentic, crafted, sustainable way. So would your, uh, when you get up in the morning, will it be a mess Will you where your wardrobe is? Will you be like, oh no, that doesn't work. I'm going to try another jacket. Does it go like that? Yeah, Or are you pretty clear that no, this will work? You know, I'm weird. Sometimes the majority of my time, I will plan my outfit for the next day, the night okay. before, and I'll have it hanging. But the minute 
you put it on, do you feel comfortable and confident? And if you don't, you change. And I think you have, you know, everybody asks me, what's your one advice for fashion? And it's actually just that you have to wear whatever you feel the most confident in because we don't have time to be kind of hindered by our clothes or feeling like, ooh, my shoulder pad is too big or I'm showing too much of this or not enough of that. And actually, you know, whatever it is that you want to wear, but that you feel great in, that's going to help you do amazing things. That's what you should be wearing. So I think the stiletto should be absolutely uh, in polished yellow gold. When I looked it up, actually, there's a lot of coloured, beautiful coloured stitching all Mm. the way around it, which I think is probably too difficult to do that in colour. So I was going to engrave the... to engrave the pattern, yes. um, I was going to put in the sole, we should write L.K. Bennett. Oh, my goodness. Um, we should put your size on the bottom. And then those pom-poms. Mm. I mean, that's got to be the most important. So those are going to be Briolet, um, sapphires, I think, blue, pink. And what was the third? Because there was a third Yellow. Color. Yellow. Mm. So... There we go. So that's how I think that little wow. charm should be. And they be. would all just sort of dangle Then they'll off. dangle oh. and they'll move. Oh, my goodness. Um, they'll be quite delicate, so you'll, you'll have to be careful. Anyway, so that's how I see it. Okay, so next charm. So charm, your fifth charm um, is a pomegranate. Mm. I was so excited about the pomegranate because... Funnily enough, one of the very, very first pieces of jewellery I did at Anushka, I collaborated with a girlfriend of mine, very old friend called Manuela Zevodaki, who is a sculptor, and I asked her to do some seeds for me. So she made a wax for me, a wax pomegranate, and I kind of interpreted that. So when you chose the pomegranate, I was like, oh, yes, I know exactly what that should look like. Oh, that's lovely. So I see it as a... Um, yellow gold beautifully polished with some kind of burnishings on it and um, three-dimensional but but split open like the fruit split over at the front because the most delicious part about pomegranate are the seeds Um, and obviously those seeds should be cabochon rubies each one should be cabochon ruby Um, and with the, just just a little leaf with, you know, so that we know it comes from the tree. And again, hugely tactile and something you just you just want to play with. That's in your so hand. beautiful, Nishka. So that's how I that's how I see it. And I guess I wasn't entirely surprised because being partly Iranian, mm. uh, I mean, the pomegranate is 4000 years old. It's absolutely representative of Iran. Having been there last year, I know I saw pomegranates everywhere, everywhere Everywhere in cooking, in absolutely Mm. everything. Mm. But tell me why you chose Mm. pomegranate. Do you know, I think I only really learned about my Iranian uh, side quite late in life, actually. I think My father grew up in Tehran, was born in Tehran, but actually grew up mostly in Beirut. Um, He speaks fluent Persian and uh, and Arabic. But for some reason, I he didn't share that side of of his family or or his history or culture so much until I got a little bit older. And um, I have yet to grill him about you know why that is, but. 
I started, you know, maybe only a decade ago, really um, being so grateful for the history that Iran represents and curious. And again, I think that idea of questioning perspective and um, Iran can be so demonized in our Western media, especially. So I went to visit four years ago with my aunt, who has been a, an expert in contemporary Iranian art for decades. And going with her really opened my eyes, not only to all the misconceptions that as a Canadian kid, I had been sort of hammered with, yeah, bet, yeah. with the kind of, you know, the, the evil of Iran and and the generosity of people, the incredible culture, how so much was invented by the Persians. Um, and for me, the pomegranate is a real symbol of sort of, you know, bitter and sweet and kind of the duality of life and and again that multiple perspective that I that I really um, am so grateful for and for me it's really just a beautiful reminder I think the pomegranate of history and culture and beauty. But in going back there four years ago did you feel Iranian did you feel mm. your roots at all yeah. and know where you well it was of... my first time there ever yeah so and, that's why I'm um, kind of interested. It was and I I think it was there that I felt, ah, okay, there's like a little bit of me that sort of has clicked into place. Um, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound so pretentious, but one of the times I interviewed Karl Lagerfeld, uh, he told me, you know, you look like one of those uh, miniatures of those Persian princesses because I have such a funny nose. Uh, so I, I was both sort of, hmm, you know, Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Mr. Lagerfeld. But also, you know, how wonderful that he saw the sort of Persianness yeah. in me when most of my life I've sort of been focused on either the Chinese bit or the Lebanese bit. So I think going back there opened my eyes. Again, like I said, I, I had so many misconceptions. And for someone who is like of the DNA, you know, I was so glad to see something from my own eyes where I see an incredible people. And in fact, your sixth child, mm. uh, actually there's a lot of that represented in Iran, the sun and the moon. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a huge amount of that represented in so much. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Actually. I hadn't really thought about that. Me but neither. I'm That's a good segue. Definitely is. <laughs> um, but the sun and the moon. Mm. So... Well, you can see on my sketches there. I love this sketch. It's so beautiful with the little moon. Well, like you know, I, you know, I have a spinning series where where mm. the globe spins, and it's that. a kind of eternal. You know, there's an eternal feeling about mm. it. But I kind of saw it uh, as a spinning series. So I, I love the crescent-shaped moon, yeah. and I. Th think I kind of something about masculine feminine mm. so I'd seen the crescent shaped moon as carved in yeah. moonstone um, with graduated oh, diamonds around down the spine um, and then you'll you can see I've separated the sun into the kind of space that this crescent moon creates and the sun is on an axis uh, and it it spins completely independently wow and so the I'd seen the sun as kind of um, pave, yellow diamonds spinning super fast and a tiny little uh, diamond or pearl just hanging from the bottom. A little briolette, I love yellow, that. Yeah. So that's how I'd oh. seen it. But, you know, you might have seen it completely differently. No, well, I that. love how you have 
built the sun into the crescent so that it sort of sits on yeah. the tips of the crescent moon. And I, I think that is exactly right. You know, the seamless being of one and yet they're so completely different. And I think for me, the duality of sun and moon and um, it just represents also very, for me, like a, a love. And I think, you know, um, that is a wonderful... And balance? Balance, absolutely, of which I'm learning more and more. Ooh, learning about that. <laughs> but in your life, how do you manage mm. the balance? Because mm. you're always so calm, you always seem like everything's easy. Mm. You always seem like that. And yet you've probably been to 14 countries in the last three weeks. <laughs> Not in, in normal, in a normal world. In my old life, yeah. yes, absolutely. So how do you maintain uh, some kind of balance? That's a good question. I think what I have learned is that you have to make time to, it's almost like you have to schedule that balance in. Yeah. And it was only, you know, just several, a few years back, in fact, when I stopped working on weekends. You know, I still don't work out as much as I should because I don't make the time, but I know I need to make the time. So I think we have to be proactive for balance, weirdly. People like us who love doing lots and lots and lots of things. Well, because it always seems, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, how do I balance being mummy to four and uh, and work, which I love? Mm. You never seem to be in the right, you know. Yeah. Should I be at work? Or I feel guilty when I'm at work, I should be at home. Should I be at home, I feel guilty when I'm at work. Yeah. Uh, But that's all the things of being a woman, I think. Yes. But I mean, I think... for you, I'm like, gosh, how do you get to get your personal life mm. in some kind of kind of shape? Shape. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, you know, I think I think we're better people when we feel fulfilled and happy with what we're doing. But I do think that the amount, what I've learned these last six months, and it's actually been the first time, I think, in a very long time that I've been grounded anywhere for six months. What, do you reckon you had 100 days in your bed? No, I mean, <laughs> incredible. And it's it's been a big wake-up call. And I would like to travel less. I took my first real holiday in a couple years in January before this all happened. And I went to Japan and then I went to Singapore and Malaysia. (laughs) Um, So Japan, that was sorry to interrupt. Was it all um, pleasure? It was all pleasure. But I'm, I'm not very good at it just yet, but I'll get better. And I think balance is a, is a very um, learned thing as well. Talking about balance. Mm. Would you, are there things you would have done differently? To your younger self, would mm. you have said to your younger self, well, I would have do this? Or? Um, in terms of balance, I probably would have said, you know, don't work so hard. But I also just don't know if I would have listened to my own advice. I, I loved what I was doing and I was all consumed and I am all consumed. No, I don't think I would do anything differently, to be fair. Um, I'm 43 now and I think... It's only now that I'm learning, you know, you can't work all the time. And uh, I think I feed myself. I read. I, I love going to galleries. I love going to see film. You know, I think I, I feed my quiet soul with beautiful things that other people make.
So charm seven. Mm. So your last charm is, is red lipstick. Yeah. So for me, it was like, okay, well, this is really, I'm really excited about this one because I absolutely want to create this little miniature, um, but I want it to work. And I, I don't think I've actually drawn it there, but I do want the lid to come to go off I want the lid to come off oh my and then I want you to be able to turn the lipstick and so the lid the whole thing because mm-hmm. you did it with um, this particular collaboration mm-hmm. did with Kirsten Wise mm-hmm. I think um, and it's a white case it's a kind of white metal case mm. so I see it in white gold and I want you literally to be able to twist it as you would a lipstick to reveal this beautiful red ruby have a lipstick i mean that's um, so good in the in you know in the perfect sh- in the perfect new <sighs> shape because actually lipstick's so exciting when it's brand new brand new in that yeah. perfect in that shape perfect, so yeah, true shape um so that's kind of how i see it oh. you know one of the things why i love your collection so much is because the way that you think about movement and i love the idea here of being able to twist that little miniature yeah. lipstick and it popping up in r- ruby pave, <laughs> perfectly cut lipstick shape. So I love that. I and think I think it's going to have to have the name. Oh, you're going to tell us goodness, what the so name good. is on the bottom of the lipstick. Because yes. lipsticks are weird thing. Where do the names come from? Where do <laughs> Where the they? names yeah. come from? But, you know, so the lipstick for me... Not only was I lucky enough to collaborate, so Kristen Kyerweiss, her brand is called Kyerweiss, and she's really a pioneer in luxury organic beauty. And she asked me to create two shades of red. And I got really excited by the project and so excited that I thought actually I would like to donate 25, well, my entire fee, and 20 of which it was 25% of all proceeds to a charity that I love called Women for Women International. It was the first time that she'd ever done a charity product. And we launched this, gosh, uh, I want to say almost two years ago now, year and a half ago. And it has done so incredibly well. We've raised over 20,000 pounds from lipstick. I mean, that is amazing. That we're going to continue the collaboration so that the products can stay and it will still go to Women for Women. But, you know, the, for me, what was so exciting is that the power of lipstick, that idea of transformation, the idea that I'm, I mean, I'm terrible with makeup. So, you know, I think the most I can do well is apply some red lip on. Yeah. And so that's my go-to from when I go to the office to when I have to go to an event at night. I literally splash on some red lipstick and I feel like I've made a really huge effort and I feel fantastic um, and and you always look absolutely <laughs> You're very so, kind no but girl. also and totally finished and finished yes and for a woman who doesn't feel finished you know necessarily my hair is frizzy and you know for me that like kind of lipstick and that shade of red is a wonderful way to transform. And that, for me, also symbolizes what fashion can do. So the fact that I got to, again, uh, create two of my perfect reds, one of them, coming back around, was actually inspired by the Saga Seed. Oh, of course. Yes, so the red of that was, became sort of one of my lipstick colors. So uh, does it have a name? One is called Amour Rouge. Red love, love, which was actually the saga-based one because of the heart shape of the I seed. Love that. Um, the other color was 
inspired by my Canadian maple leaf of my falls. Of course. So it was more of like a burnt orangey red. And, ah, sucré. Oh, I love that. Sucré because of all the sugar sugaring off that we would do as kids with the maple Maple syrup. syrup. Of course. (laughs) I love that. So they were very personal again. I like, again, I like creating things that are personal to me. But, I mean, lipstick represents in my world it's absolutely all about femininity Mm. isn't it it's Mm. all about that Mm. so I wanted to go back a little bit to talk about your days as a management consultant Mm. in what I imagine what 17 more 17 years ago Mm. was a 20 years ago yeah 20 years ago Mm. was an well still is I think Mm. a pretty male-dominated world absolutely I don't want this to sound wrong, but how did you use your femininity mm. in this very male-dominated mm. world? Yeah. And, and, and my next part of that is, and, and has it, has, we know the world is changing. Yeah. Not changing fast enough, yeah. but it's changing. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's a great question. And I think it is really shocking to me when I think about it, how few women we saw as partners at the top. So there was really not a lot of representation around what the future would hold for you as a woman, as a top partner level. I was always lucky that I had wonderful experiences with my clients, with my partners, with my colleagues. But it definitely gave me a sense of having to make sure that I always, you know, I had something to say and that I was heard. And I think actually one of the best pieces of advice that one of my male partners gave me when I was a young, you know, analyst was, you know, you have as much right to be in this room as anybody else, but make sure that you use your voice. Don't just sit there and lean in. Yeah, yeah. I guess lean, yeah, in, lean in in a in. sense. Yeah, yeah. And that really helped me when I then joined the fashion industry. Where, I mean, fashion, we're so lucky, is is one of those industries where actually there's a lot of women yeah. and it's very open and it's got good-ish representation. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> Ish. Um, but again, you know, I think from that, from my management consulting experience where I was sort of taught, you know, y- you've got a voice, use it. I wasn't so afraid to use my voice. And so... Thinking of being a woman, entrepreneur, business owner, magazine person, you know, I've always just made sure, and I tell this with my staff, you know, just if you have something to say or you have an opinion, say it because there's otherwise I'll never hear you. You know, you have to make yourself heard. But I think management consulting and the world of gray and where, you know, it was still considered okay to say you have to wear a skirt suit not a pantsuit or a trouser suit you know I mean I can't even imagine that today (laughs) but I know that Mm -hmm. there are so few women banking and management consulting who might be able to wear like a McQueen suit you know it's still considered risque to have a printed suit you know you're it's still you have to be in that world of navy brown and black and I just think that that uh, has got to change. If only women ruled the world now. I mean, goodness, what a difference they that will. could make. They will. We will. We will. Okay, so that uh, <gasps> brings us to the end of your oh, uh, seven charms. How is that even possible? I've so, I've so enjoyed talking to you about it. It's been absolutely fascinating. So, Caroline, I'm going to ask everybody this question, but I'd really like to know what, when we've made this bracelet and there's seven charms, what 
do you want your legacy to be? What mm. do you want people to remember you mm. for? And what will this, I guess more importantly, what will this bracelet say about you? That's a great question, Anushka. And I think legacy is something that I have been thinking about a lot, especially in the last year, because I've learned that, you know, we leave this earth with absolutely nothing. And so the thing that we leave behind is is soul, spirit, and reputation. And I don't have a pithy answer for legacy right now. I think that's quite a good answer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know about good that. Answer. <laughs> but I do know that I would love to leave this planet having been kind and generous and having um, impacted others and my planet in a kind way. Um, but other than that, I don't yet know. And I, it's something that I'm working on. I think we're all working on mm. it. But I think that's a pretty pithy answer. Actually. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> but as you know, I, I've, I've always said I'd love to make you one of your mm. charms, um, which I am going to do. Eek. And um, so of those seven, <gasps> I would love to know which one of these you'd like me to make. I don't even know what to answer right now. You've got to answer something. I know. <laughs> choosing one out of these seven is literally like choosing a child. Um, gosh. But I feel like, if, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get like the Anushka touch on something. So, yeah, I would do Tank. And I guess the question would just be what would be on the cover. But it could be a motto of ours or even just maybe even the year that I started. Absolutely. 2002. Because I think everything you do is keepsake, and I love the idea. It could be on the inside like that. It could like be that. on the inside of the box, or inside the, like, like the cover of yeah. the, the box locket. Oh, okay. I think we're going to okay, go we'll, with the... We'll, we're going with the Tank Magazine locket, because I think it's such a special idea that you have around an inside. I love the idea of locket, and then to be able to enamel something on the front is quite special. Okay, we'll we'll uh, we'll work on the idea. That's exciting, um, and it's so me. It's so you. I mean, and I think the whole point of your bespoke seven charms is that you know you create these incredible one-offs. So, and you just you know, in terms of kind of what the story, what the legacy will be, published this magazine, and she was into fashion, and she was interested in art, and the There's magazine incorporates all there. of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So Maybe now we could do some kind of. Thank you so much for listening to my Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. Please do like, review and subscribe to hear our latest episodes. Thank you to Fairly Media for our audio production.